You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we are talking about your new puppy. I'm sure many of you got puppies for Christmas or perhaps were waiting for a puppy after Christmas. A lot of breeders have litters about, you know, summertime and wintertime uh, because they know a lot of people want holiday puppies and things like that. Some breeders avoid those times whenever possible, but you can't help when your female comes into heat. So um, anyway, all of this to say, if you have a new puppy at home, this episode is going to be a series of things that you may need to be looking at that you might not have already considered. Now, if you have already brought the puppy home, some of these things won't apply to you. And then if you have the puppy there and you're already struggling with a few issues, this will definitely address those as well. So let's get into it. The first thing you're definitely going to need, and if you don't have one, I would recommend picking one up, is a crate. Now, you're probably sitting there going, well, I don't have one and I haven't needed it yet. Okay, let me play this out for you. Right now, your puppy might be anywhere from 8 to 14 weeks old, maybe 16, depending on exactly how old they were when you picked them up. And to me... That's like the lowest energy they ever have. You know, at six months old, that puppy is going to be all over the house. And you're going to be wishing that he was already cool with being in a crate. Because when you try adding a crate then, and he has no familiarity with it and no relationship with it, you're going to be dealing with a barking dog for hours at a time, pulling your hair out. And you're still going to need the crate because the reason you're going to need the crate it is likely that the dog is going to be chewing on something or jumping on something or, you know, they're, they go through natural stages that crates really help with management way outside potty training. Um, I had a client once say to me, well, potty training is going really well, so I don't need a crate. Um, I cautioned her for the same reasons I'm cautioning you. Crates have more value than, you know, oh, yeah, the dog uses the crate you know, to, to understand, to hold it or just, you know, is created when I'm gone. That's not the only time I use a crate. If a dog is kind of acting out of control or does something that's out of turn, I'm not going to beat the dog. I put him in the crate. Um, now a lot of people are sitting back and going, Oh, I thought the crate isn't supposed to be used for punishment. It's not punishment. It's an interruption of behavior. There is a difference. I'm not telling the dog while they're in the crate, you know, how horrible they are and what a bad dog. No. It's, I rep, you know, I interrupt the behavior when it happens. So I'll say, uh uh-uh, no, sir. All my dogs are male. (laughs) No, sir. And then put them in the crate. I'm not expecting the dog to think about what they're doing like a small child, but I'm interrupting the behavior I didn't like. And that moment was marked. Now, the other thing that I'm doing is I'm, I'm giving some space because if you just interrupt a behavior, what do most puppies do when you stop them? And you let them go. They go right back to it. You have to be the wall because they aren't the wall. Um, And as they're developing, it's kind of their job to test you. You know, there are some dogs that do this better than others, um, but all dogs can read their owners. So so keeping all of this in mind, um, the first thing you need is 
a plan in place as far as uh, your crate, where it's going to be. I always like to keep it kind of close to you, but depending on the size of your dog and the crate, that might not be, you might not be able to have it in, say, your bedroom, or you may not, it might be more feasible to keep it in the family room. So um, I would like to make sure it's not an isolated space. You don't want the dog to feel like they're in exile, in my view. Um, I like it to be a positive place for them to go, rest, um, hide their toys if they want to. It shouldn't be, you know, a prison. You know, I feed a dog in a crate, and this applies to puppies. This really helps them connect with the denning instinct. And then a key factor in when you're potty training and also when you have a puppy and you're trying to create this denning instinct, making sure they that if you have a large a dog that's going to be a large dog but starts small, obviously, you're going to want a crate with a divider in it. So as they grow, you can expand the crate with them. Now, why is this important? Why can't you just leave the divider out? Well, if they have more room to like sleep on one side and go to the bathroom on the other, that's what they're going to do. They're not actually going to hold it um, because they sleep there if they can sleep on one side and pee in another spot. It doesn't work that way. So to give them incentive to hold it, you basically have to create a space that's small enough that they're like, well, I don't want to get it on me. And then you also feed them in that space. Um, it's very important that you feed the dog in the crate with the crate door closed. This is important for one specific reason. And it, that's that denning instinct I was talking about. Without it, you're just making this kind of the box that everybody else interprets it as instead of a bedroom. You know, you do lots of things in your bedroom. You may watch TV, you may read. Um, think of your dog's crate as a bedroom. So there should be toys in there. There should be a bone in there. There should be a blanket in there. Um, but, you know, when you have a really small puppy, you may have to change some of these items. Like, for example, I never put anything in the crate that I know a puppy could swallow or shred. Um, I also don't put rope toys in crates ever. I use them for tug games and things like that, but I don't leave dogs unattended with them because they can get into their intestines. Um, and it's very problematic and a very expensive surgery that you could avoid. <laughs> so all that to say, make sure you're doing your crate training. That actually leads into the other thing that you need to have in place, which is you need to have a potty training schedule. Not just I'm going to take the dog out when you're taking the dog out who's taking the dog out, how often they're going to take the dog out. This is important because I would say in about 80% of cases where there was a dog that wasn't potty trained, it was because there was no consistency. It wasn't really the dog's fault um, ever in my experience. There were, there were medical issues that prevented the dog and then there were communication problems between what was expected and what the dog knew. You know, often we would have to go right back to basics um, with a dog that was four and still not potty trained. And they'd be like, well, he's never been in a crate. It's like, well, unfortunately, he has no sense of what to keep clean. And it's kind of a free-for-all. And the house smells like it now. So we have to change some of the things that he knows. And that leads back to the barking that you could be avoiding because a dog that's never been exposed to a crate, you know, if you expose a puppy to a crate and then eventually do away with it, great. But if you ever need that crate, in the future, because they had that during during an imprint period and you made it a good experience for them, it's not going to be that big of an issue if they, you ever need it again for a medical purpose. But if your dog injures itself, has a surgery, something like that, 
they're on bed rest, essentially. They're they're not allowed to be running around. Vets aren't going to house your dog until they're, they make a full recovery. They're going to send them home and say, you know, walking, minimal, you know, uh, essentially crate rest. So it's better to have the experience and do away with the training tool when you're ready, as soon as you're ready, than not to have, have ever had it installed because going backwards is always harder and it usually leads to migraines from the barking. (laughs) Puppies, by the way, can't hold it very long. So on an empty stomach, expect them to be able to hold it for about mm, however many months old they are plus one is how many hours they can hold it on an empty stomach. When they've eaten or had something to drink, assume 30 minutes is your length of time, especially if they're moving around, sometimes as little as 15. So... Now, when I'm using the crate, I go ahead and feed them in the crate. I wait 15 to 30 minutes for them to digest, and then I take them straight outside so that I've, I've gotten a routine with them going where this is what you're doing when you're in the crate. This is what you do immediately when you get out of the crate. And then I continue that routine when the crate isn't there. So like after I fed you, you're going to digest you're going to be the crate restricts their access to all this space. So they're not going to be running around the house, which can make certain breeds who are more prone to bloat bloat. Um, it also stops them from getting a wild hair and tearing your place apart before they're ready to go outside and go to the bathroom. Um, so restricting their space where they're, you know, they can lay down and they can chill out, but they can't exert themselves is ideal. And it sends a long-term message so that, like I said, when the crate isn't there, they already know. Well, I get fed, then I lay down, and about 30 minutes later, I go outside, I go potty, and then I come in. And and when they come in and they've eliminated outside, I reward them profusely outside, and when they come inside, they get access to the house. That's the reward, is the freedom. If they don't go potty outside, then they have to go back in their crate. And I try it with puppies in another 10 minutes. Um, because, and, and if it's a really small breed in five, you, you just want to send the message that they're not going to get access around the house unless they eliminate and relieve themselves outside first. And you're going to reward that experience over and over and over. I used treats with certain clients. Some dogs, all they needed was praise. It just depends on your dog. If you've struggled with potty training, why not use the treat? It it won't hurt you. You know, if anything, you're just going to see results faster and you can always phase the treats out. Um, I hate when people go, well, I don't want to use treats because I don't want to be dependent on them. That's all in how you phase them out and what other value you've given to yourself in the relationship that you have with your dog. Because when I phase treats out with my dogs, they work just as hard for me. I had a listener write in on Dog Guru Hound. So if you're on Facebook, you can find our Facebook group, Dog Guru Hounds. And you can just search that in your Facebook bar, find us, ask to join. We will accept you. Um, You can post photos and questions, send messages, um, find other listeners who are involved with the show. Anyway, this particular scenario was inspired by a listener who wrote in and her main question was what do I do when the dog well specifically her puppy what do I do when the puppy has something in its mouth that is either toxic or could break basically something basically something the dog shouldn't have in its mouth what do I do okay so 
always, always trade um, and have something of higher value. One of your first tasks as somebody who is um, a new puppy owner is figuring them out. Find out what it is they like. Is it, you know, chicken? Is it cheese? Is it Cheerios? Find out kind of what makes them tick, what their value system is. Are they obsessed with a bone? Are they obsessed with a specific ball? Those are your bargaining pieces. If they have a favorite ball and all of a sudden they've got the remote in their mouth, you bounce that ball off and away from them, they're not going to care about the remote now, and they can only fit one thing in their mouth at a time. Um, I encourage trading as a skill. I actually teach it as a behavior, or I did. Um, so rather than just teaching a dog to drop something, I would you know, say drop, and then I would offer them something of higher value. So I was, I was essentially asking them to do the behavior, and once they did, I gave them a larger reward. So if he had a sock in his mouth, I'd give him his favorite toy. But I wouldn't show him the favorite toy and be like, here, here, here. Now, in a desperate situation, you can do that. I'm just saying when I'm teaching the skill, I'm not trying to bribe the dog. I'm trying to teach a skill. When I'm in the heat of the moment and the skill isn't there, I'll trade you. What do you want? <laughs> um, so it's it's you have to be rational. I mean, puppies aren't reckless monsters, but without guidance and boundaries and restricted spaces, you're going to find things that you didn't even know you still had in your house in their mouth. Um, and that's another reason why I think it's really important to have a crate or, uh, an area that's baby gated off that your dog can't, your puppy can't get into things that are dangerous wires, uh, out of the house onto a patio, any any house that's located near a body of water, um, even if you have a breed that's water savvy, we'll say, um, like labs are known to be good swimmers and things like that, just because they are good swimmers doesn't mean they have the stamina to be strong swimmers. So especially without experience and really knowing, you know, anything about what they're doing, they could end up drowning, and that would be a horrible thing. So be mindful of the environment that your new puppy is in, if, especially if you haven't had a dog in that environment before. If you're this is your first dog or your first dog in a while, you know you need to be mindful of the things that puppies get into. Um, also, always make sure you're closing doors behind you and looking down because if you have a really small puppy, they can get underfoot, and you might not even notice they're scooting out you know, ahead of you. So be mindful of those things. I had another listener who also submitted this question through the group and said, what do you think the most important thing to do or have for a puppy is right off? And I said, a group class. And they said, why? And I said, the social aspect can't be undone. You know, it teaches you so much about who your dog is at such an early stage. It's so valuable. And here's what I mean by that. Regardless of how many cues your dog walks out learning, you're learning about your dog if you're paying attention. You're going to learn what they're afraid of, what irks them, what they're going to bristle up against, and you're going to learn, you know, how friendly they are with people, how easily it's going to be to connect with them in an environment that's a little bit more chaotic. Um, and I like to test those things early. I want to know the dog that I have in front of me. Now, when I was a trainer, I structured group classes, so I got the benefit of being able to do this whenever I wanted. But, you know, for 
somebody with a new puppy, you might be on the fence of, well, is it even worth it? I don't really think he'll learn anything. It isn't about the cues that you're learning. You're going to get pieces of information you may not have had. You're also going to get exposure um, or you're specifically your puppy is going to get exposure that they desperately need and time is ticking. Um, imprint periods are from birth to 12 weeks and 12 weeks to about, I'd say anywhere, uh, 12 to 18 weeks, somewhere around there. Um, now there's some debate about exactly the timeline, but those are the weeks that matter. Those are the ones you can't undo. So good experiences and building on those good experiences will be lodged in their memory. It'll be part of who they are. And bad memories, for the same reason, bad experiences will be there too. So I like to start with, you know, a positive reinforcement group class, you know, get the socialization done, get some puppy play there, um, get some questions answered. You know, you're going to have almost a different puppy every week because they're going to do something a little different every week as they develop. And while they're doing that and you're trying to figure them out, it's nice to have somebody you can ask outside of me, (laughs) Um, somebody that you could ask on a weekly basis who can answer your questions. And obviously you can send them to me. You can still email me at dogguruhereforyou at gmail.com. I'm happy to read all of your emails. I actually have one that's a little bit further behind. I got this one last year and I never got to address it and I'm very sorry. Uh, But things got a little busier towards the end of the year. Someone wrote in, um, a listener who's written in before and asked what dog food I would recommend. Now, you've actually never heard me speak of specific brands before um, because I don't get any kickbacks and and whatnot, and every dog is different. Now, there are certain foods that I tend to look at more than others um, and and might be a good fit for your dog. There are a few things that I will caution you with. This is not me saying this is what your dog needs to eat. This is not anyone on my network saying that these are the best foods to feed. This is just what I like. Okay. So this is an opinion based on, you know, it's, these are foods I've fed, um, and I have had success with, and I really, I like them as companies. I think that they're more consistent with their product and it's important to me that, the consistency of the product is there so that I, the risk of my dog falling unwell due to food and diet is lower. You know, I like to defray that risk as much as possible. Okay. So the first food that I recommended to clients for years and years was from F R O M M. And I like from, for a reason I like from, because there aren't a bunch of additives Um, the proteins they have are solid and there isn't a high absurd crude protein level. Now your crude protein is going to play a very large role in how much energy your dog has and nervous energy. So if you have like a 32 or a 28% crude protein rate and your dog is a couch potato, they are more likely to end up with a neurotic behavior because, or, you know, an obsessive behavior, not necessarily neurotic behavior, but an obsessive behavior because they've got all of this extra juice that they're never going to express. And so for that reason, it's just better if you kind of tailor what you're feeding to your dog. Now, From is an amazing company and they have several different types of 
proteins that you can pick from. So depending on what your dog's dietary needs are, that's a great food to look at. I also like um, anybody who is on the fence about what to feed, um, consider raw, do your research, because if you're in a position where you can feed raw, it doesn't hurt your dog. It's a great idea. I'm not in a position where I can do it. I'm going to be straight blunt honest with you. I cannot, in my situation with, you know, when I'm traveling and, and just the schematics of having three dogs and raw is not feasible for me in my life right now. But for a long time, I did feed raw. And, you know, when I wasn't feeding raw, I went and I would feed from. And the other food that I really like is Victor. And I like Victor for a handful of reasons, but I fed it from uh, to my newest dog. And it was the only food that would help maintain his weight for the longest time. So, you know, being that I tried pretty much everything, I started with from and it just it wasn't a fit for my dog. So that's why I'm bringing up Victor. It's a good backup um, if if from for whatever reason isn't a good fit for you. So those are the two foods I'm going to recommend. Now you're probably sitting there and going, well, it's only two. I was like, well, I'm not going to recommend something or tell you I like something if I haven't tried it, if I don't have experience with it. I'm not going to advise you on something that's just out there and that has good reviews. That's not why I'm telling you about these foods. I'm telling you about them because I personally have handed them to my dogs, seen them live healthy, long lives with minimal, if not zero, need for medical intervention for most of their lives. And I attribute a lot of that to diet uh, and good routine. So, you know, believe it or not, a lot of the things that you're going to deal with later in life with your dog start in puppyhood. And diet is the biggest determining factor on if your dog is going to have, you know, those more boisterous, energetically based behaviors where they jump all over the place, they're tearing the place apart. That often has a lot to do with diet. A lot of times when I used to take a look at what the client was feeding, it was too high a crude protein level for the dog that they had. And so the dog just had, they were living normal lives, a nine to five job and coming home and they wanted to give the dog a walk that came home and they expected the dog to just be calm. But the crude protein level was like drinking a two liter bottle of soda and only taking a four minute walk. He wasn't done yet. So we needed to change his diet. And slowly they start, once they did away with the food, we continue with the training, but immediately when he wasn't on that high cr of a crude protein level, they saw a shift in his personality almost immediately. Uh, they said within a week, they could tell that something was changing in him. And within a month, his energy level had depleted quite a bit to a healthier level, to a manageable. He was just a normal, happy dog. He wasn't just, you know, at the time he had been destroying their pillows and eating, you know, he had dug through their couch and things like that. I think he had also destroyed their carpet at one point. So these are the things that you wouldn't necessarily have originally attributed to uh, lack of exercise and diet, but often those are the causes for those behaviors. So to, if, you, if, you're, if you have an older dog, go ahead and take a, a look at your schedule and what you're feeding and see if the dog is getting enough exercise and how high your crude protein level is. If you have a senior dog, you do not need a high crude protein level. Stay no higher than 23%. And to me, for a senior dog, that's still high. That's my food for thought there. I want to thank everybody who is listening, writing in. 
If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to us, whether it's iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And then if you'd like, you can always donate at paypal.me slash your dog guru. We would certainly appreciate it. And if you can't donate, that's okay. Go ahead and tell a friend about us. If they have a dog, they might like to give us a listen and maybe they'll write in and have a question. All questions, please email to dogguruhereforyou at gmail.com. Or like I said, you can find us on Facebook, the Dog Guru Hounds Group. So go ahead and search that up. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.